Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business. The focus of this podcast is on how you share your knowledge and experiences in books and how you connect that to what you do for a living. And I have with me today Doreen Cumberford, who I met through a group that we are both involved in that teaches us more about creating great video. Doreen, welcome to the show. Good morning, Pat, and thank you so much for having me. Tell our listener or the viewer who's watching this on our YouTube channel at, called Pat Iyer, tell us where you're sitting today. Um, right now, I am sitting in uh, a house in San Miguel de Allende, which is about three and a half hours northwest of Mexico City in Mexico. All right. And is that where you live all the time? No. <laughs> this is, uh, we are... We are here for a few months. Uh, we have been coming here for three years and we are considering actually relocating to this part of the world. Um, and we've done some house sitting assignments here. So we're here for the winter essentially to get away from the Colorado snow. Oh, well, I understand. I'm in Florida right now for the same reason to get away from the cold and the snow. Yeah. I know that our listener is going to be intrigued by the concept of house sitting. Can you explain your lifestyle and your business? And, and then we'll talk about the books that you've written surrounding this concept. Sure. Um, I'm actually uh, an expatriate, a former expatriate, but I'm an, an, an expatriate at heart. My uh, husband uh, was a TCK, a third culture kid. And his family, his mother was a third culture kid. And so it's sort of a generational process, I think. And so both of us, my husband and I, have lived outside of our native countries for over 60-something years. 60? 6-0? 6-0, yeah. About 67 years. We haven't done the addition recently, Pat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, I have lived in nine countries on four continents and um, very, very much at home, away, or on the road, as it were. Now, when we did expatriation assignments, we were planted somewhere. Gen and the last one that we did is um, the one that Life in the Camel Lane is based on, which is based on living in Saudi Arabia for 15 years. So now after we retired, which is really rewired, <laughs> mm -hmm. we discovered this great lifestyle where we could move when we wanted. It's very slow travel. And we do have a home base in Colorado, but um, we do travel when we can, where we can, um, to do pet sitting. And we um, are part of a very, very large network of people who put up homes in one place and are matched with pet sitters from another place. And uh, we go sit in the most amazing architecturally rich 
surroundings, and we've done pet sitting in eight countries over the last four years in, in our attempt to revitalize our worldview and also to enjoy our retirement and, and learn, learn languages, learn culture, learn food, and to keep that small expat uh, awakened inside of us. I am just bowled over by what you shared, Doreen, in terms of your lifestyle. The, it raises so many questions. Let me, let me pull a few of them out. You said third culture. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, yes. What does that mean? Okay, a TCK is a third culture kid. And a third culture kid is usually a child that is raised like my own daughter. Um, I'm from Scotland. My husband's American, and she was raised in Japan and Saudi Arabia. So these are kids who are the sons and daughters of diplomats, of executives, or of anybody who has taken off and lived in another culture. All right. All right. That helps explain that to me. I'm sorry. It was a piece of jargon. I shouldn't have thrown it <laughs> You know, we have ways to describe people. I remember several years ago, somebody talked about a trust fund kid. Mm -hmm. And that had to be explained to me as a kid who basically has more money than they know what to do with. It came up in the context of the clubs in Manhattan, which at that time were filled with trust fund kids who paid, you know, 80 to 100 dollars a night to walk in to get a, a cheap bottle of wine and spend their money and spend their time and they had nothing else to do. So the third culture kid is another variation of the kid yeah. adjective. So I appreciate you giving me that explanation. And just to add on to that, um, the woman who came up with this terminology, her name is Ruth Van Brieken, and she was an expatriate um, born in or lived in Kenya as a child. She's now in her 60s or 70s, and she has written two books. And in the last book, she actually coined the term. It's more like a CCK cross-cultural kid. So there are so many people, as you know, across the world, because I think you probably have a CCK in your house. <laughs> I know that your husband was born in a different country. He was. Yes. And so your, your children are the product and they are cross-cultural kids. That's a CCK. All right. Well, one of my cross-cultural kids lives in India and is a minister there. The other one lives in the United States. And my husband did come here when he was 21 to get his master's degree. Yeah, so you know this, you know this. It's just that we haven't had language for it. Mm -hmm. or, um, we haven't had language until recently. We haven't had descriptions that were accurate and we haven't had um, silos that so that people can have a common agreement across cross culture as to how to communicate with each other. Well, thank you for that explanation. That helps to put it in context. <laughs> so that's what I write about, or this is what I attempt to write about, Pat. <laughs> and your first book, tell us about how you got from not having written a book or written a chapter to your first project that you worked on. Um, I 
I was a health and well-being coach oh, way back in the 80s before health and well-being coaches were a thing. And um, when I came back from Saudi Arabia, I decided to pop back into the coaching world, the coaching and consulting world. And I was really helping people build their dreams. Now, 40 years earlier, 30 years earlier, I had been working with people to help um, them lose weight and build a dream, a healthy dream. So it was all very related, very natural. And somebody said, oh, we're writing this book on um, empowering women. And uh, would you like to contribute a story? And I had just returned from Saudi Arabia, uh, where I had lived for 15 years. And I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to get it on paper. And I have gone from that to this point where I'm just so anxious to get all the stories out and on paper because I don't want them to disappear with me and my brain when I go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the legacy that we leave behind when we document those stories and those aspects of wisdom that we have learned from our life experiences. It is. It is. It definitely is. And I, yeah. Um, can I insert a story here about a blog I wrote yesterday? <laughs> of course you can. Um, I have a friend who has been suffering from cancer for perhaps eight years. It's been a long, torturous, arduous journey for her. And she recently announced um, just a couple of days ago that um, she had gotten a terminal diagnosis of a different kind of cancer in the brain. Mm. So it was very sad, but she was letting her community know uh, and kind of preparing everybody and talking about how she was being taken care of. And I had this visceral reaction. Oh my gosh, it was like, her stories, what will happen to her stories? Because this woman had led tours of um, mostly other Western women to places like Iran and Nepal. And she had hiked all over the foothills of Nepal. And she had Nepalese friends and like who became like family and she had such wonderful cross-cultural stories and I was very surprised by that reaction <laughs> that it was just like protect the stories and, and get mm -hmm. them out because the legacy I think is really important nowadays. It certainly is in fact um, I'm part of a mastermind that meets every week and one of the people in our group is a death and dying doula and she helps families and patients record those stories so that that legacy lives on after the person transitions to a different existence. That's such a, such a wonderful gift. It is. Because, because you know, it's not um, in all of the work that I've been involved in, um, which is not a huge body yet, <laughs> but um, I think the idea of legacy is growing stronger and stronger every day in the mm -hmm. process. And I think that's one of the benefits of writing your book for your business. Mm -hmm. Were you involved in this compilation book as somebody who paid to have your material included or was there no fee associated with this? There was a fee associated with this. Mm -hmm. um, it was back, you know, maybe nine years ago. So I have been approached by all these people who reach out and say, come and be in, you know, Jack Canfield or uh, someone else's book. 
but I haven't done any of those because I discovered that um, if I really worked hard at it and applied myself, I can write. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. I'm not a natural writer. Um, I'm a natural, I think I like to communicate by speech. I'm very verbal. Um, but when that verb, when the verbs and the and the lyricism of my Scottish upbringing are available on the page, then I do think that um, it's it's a gift I've been given, and and really I'm responding to this um, drive to get stories out there and connect people interculturally. And I think of the many people that I connect with, your stories of being in different cultures, having different experiences, would be fascinating for people. Mm -hmm. I had um, a webinar that I taught last night about my upcoming program on getting your book finished. And one of my attendees had lived in 57 countries And she was thinking about writing a book called Don't Touch the Monk and Other Faux Pas. Yes, yes, yes. There's one, there are, there are several, uh, yeah, there's a couple of books out there on faux pas. And and there's one called, um, a children's book called Slurping Soup, which is really for children on the subject of how to eat when you're in Asia. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So that's a great title. I would cheer her on. Go girl. (laughs) Well, there were several people on our webinar who were commenting in the chat box. We want to read that book. Please go ahead and write that. And, and you know, it's very interesting because right now, um, especially during COVID when we're culturally uh, distant and separate from each other, um, it's interesting that I think um, I'm just seeing so many more expat podcasts, uh, so many more uh, house-sitting podcasts, so many more people who are anxious to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you know, we don't know what will happen. We don't know how many days we have left on the planet or how many years. But um, I, I sense a collective impulsion where more and more people want to share stories not just for the stories but also for the wisdom gleaned having lived through these stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's a great point Doreen you went from the compilation book to writing your own book tell us about that transition what was that first solo book about well I I have to I started writing Life in the Camel Lane, and um, it was about my years lived in Saudi Arabia. And it's really, um, it's called Life in the Camel Lane, Embrace the Adventure. So um, I've come to the point where I really believe that we all need to live our lives as bite-sized adventures. And we need to look for adventures, seek it out, take bite-sized risks in order to um, develop and promote um, uh, a life that's really energizing and worth living. And so I started this book and I was, you know, I, oh, it took me about six years to write it. Oh. And um, in the midst of that, I had an opportunity with three other um, intercultural re- uh, repatriation coaches, sorry, two other gals to write a book 
on um, arriving well. And that interrupted life in the camel lane, which is one of the reasons it took so long. And mm -hmm. that is an ebook, which has become sort of, uh, it, it's become a, a real, really fun read for people who are in the midst of repatriating from, from overseas to go back home again, because there are many challenges. And we three coaches came up with the idea of, oh, let's do an anthology. So we did a short anthology with five experts who all had lived overseas and come home again. Many of them bounced back again, uh, but not all of them. And it addressed all the issues that one is faced with when you're returning home to your native country. So that interrupted this process, but that got finished and after that got finished, I had more momentum to complete life in the camel lane. Mm -hmm. You know, what you just said made me think about some of my husband's Indian friends who faced that issue in a different way. Some of them who raised teenage girls specifically in the United States, mm -hmm. then wanted to go back to India to protect their daughters from the dating scene because they wanted them to undergo arranged marriages. Mm -hmm. So here are these kids who grew up as Americans who maybe have visited India over the years, but never lived there, who now in those teenage years are uprooted and sent back. Maybe their parents come with them. Maybe they live with grandparents. It's an, it's a, an aspect of being part of that culture that is different if you've always lived in the United States and you just accept that dating and having love marriages, as they're called in India, there's either arranged marriages or loved marriages. Those are the two choices. The love marriages are on the rise in India. Uh -huh. The arranged marriages still exist, although they can be done by the internet very effectively now compared to local advertising of parents who are looking for matches for their kids. So I've seen that issue and I've thought about it from the perspective of the American kids going back to India or going to India to live, as opposed to people from other countries, people who are Americans who go overseas and then come back to their home base. But, you know, it's the same repatriation, whether you're going, if, if you've grown up as a TCK in another culture and you're repatriating or your parents are repatriating and they're going through one process, you're going through another process, um, then that pro produces its own um, results and its own dissonance. Mm -hmm. um, but I've seen this time and time again, of course, with Saudi women who were sent from a very, very closeted Saudi culture to America, and they got their degrees. My, um, I had Saudi women friends who were nuclear, me nuclear medicine docs, and I had a Saudi woman who was my uh, OBGYN, or Jordanian women. And many of those women undergo the same sort of situation because they come, they get their education, they're expanded, they see what's possible in the West, and then they're expected to go back and wear an abaya and not drive back in those days uh, and not drive and not be uh, confident and outgoing and to kind of cloak themselves again. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And it was a fascinating journey to watch their trajectory. And very, you know, it's with great pride and joy that I can say that there were more 
over a number of years, I don't know if this is still true, but there were more Saudi girls um, being educated at university level and going on to the professions than there were, were Saudi men. Mm. Which is not the way we think it is. Yes. <laughs> we could talk for hours just on that topic, Doreen. Sorry if I got off topic. That's <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I have a sense that that happens easily with you, Doreen, because one thought sparks a memory and a story and an experience. And if I could sit down and say with say to you, what's life like in Mexico? We could talk for hours about that. Yes, yes. So you started Rising Well. You started Life in the Camel Lane. You interrupted that for the rising well. You came back and finished life in the camel lane. Yes. Are you working on anything now? I am. I, <laughs> I am. And, you know, this is the big thing. When you are naturally creative and you have to focus on a book. Um, I have started writing a book, which the title was When the Music Stops. And it was basically uh, supposed to be about repatriation and going home and all the things you have to deal with because I have so much material and about five years of coaching involved in that. And that will need to be written. But then I'm also really enjoying this fun, fascinating life in the house sitting lane. Mm. And so, you know, there's all, and, and people ask questions about that all the time. How do you do that? And why do you do that? And what are the pitfalls? And, and so there's, you know, it's, it's a question of answering which call. And right now um, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm doing a little bit of both and I'm actually in the middle of a virtual book tour. So I'm writing a lot of blogs, which gives me the opportunity to sort of chuck things out on the page and experiment to see which, which, which lane will I take. What is the virtual book tour related to right now? The virtual book tour is on life on the camel lane and mm -hmm. uh, I have about 18 or 20 stops, which means that book bloggers, which is a whole different country that I never knew existed <laughs> up until now. And book bloggers will take uh, life on the camel lane, read it, um, write a little bit about it. And on many of the blogs, they uh, interview you as a writer and they either send you questions that they want addressed and answered, or they give you a, a slate of uh, suggested questions uh, to answer, which is very, very helpful. And um, some of them, if you go look at it, it's a question of going looking into the blogs and see who their who their, uh, following is and uh, what those people are looking for. Um, before I write the blog. So it's a wonderful experience and it's a way to grow and widen. Hmm. Have you ever I, done one? I have not. Um, I have heard of, of real book tours and people who sit in Barnes and Noble in previous times, not when we're recording, but would sit there and some of them had lines of people waiting to buy their book and sign it. And some talk about the loneliness of sitting in Barnes and Noble with nobody coming in or in an independent bookshop. Mm -hmm. So I have not participated in a virtual book tour. How did you find the people or how did they find you for well, participating? Yeah. Great question. Um, 
I had hired a gal to help me um, with a little bit of marketing because I was an absolute newbie. And my book was ready to launch just as COVID hit. <laughs> and I was planning on going back to Colorado and I was going to do a book launch, a traditional party and have a camel and have a little people come and do henna on the ladies' hands. And I had this great magical experience planned in my head, but COVID had other, <laughs> had other ideas. And in the end, I did a book uh, launch online. I had almost 90 people attend from eight different countries, which would not have been possible if we yeah. done it, mm -hmm. you know, in person. So um, after I did that, um, this gal pointed me in the direction of this woman who does virtual book tours. And I got connected to her. And uh, I did one and I, it was really helpful in getting reviews for the book path. Um, because once you write a book, you're only a third of the way there. It's, it's having the book take legs and serve people and be read that counts. And that's a whole different skill. Mm -hmm. Marketing is quite different. And so this was a way that I could handle marketing. It was a way that I could um, share my book and in other avenues. And I also do a guest blog on uh, a couple of people, a couple of sites as well, regularly. So that helps. Tell me about the virtual book launch. How did you structure that? What did you do? You said you were planning to have a camel in Colorado. Was that a live camel? Yeah, that was my dream. I have, I have all these toy camels, etc. And I thought, oh, I can. I'll be in Colorado. I'll have a lot. I get this person, and the camel had actually moved to Wyoming. Oh. I was still pretty determined. And the, but the camel did appearances. And you could sit on this camel and ride the camel. So that was my vision of my book launch because it's a strange story. Um, when COVID happened and I had to do it online, I was like, okay. So I just uh, created invitations and uh, sent them out to friends all around the world, to, especially to many people who had lived this experience with me. Mm -hmm. And so I was fortunate that a lot of our alumni from this experience got on the call. And what I did was I brought people, uh, everyone was on camera, it was Zoom like this, but there was almost 90 people there. So it was pages and pages. So many people that my daughter came on and she is in the book, but I didn't even see she was on the call. So I didn't, I didn't bring her in to talk to her about her experience of having an author a mother who turned author and and her experience of how I had handled writing about her because I was very, um, very, very sensitive that I didn't uh, impose my beliefs and my story on hers because hers was a different story. Mm -hmm. And so the people visited, people said, oh, I haven't seen you in five years. And I had people, my best friend from university was there. I brought them on camera. And I said, so how do you know me? Do you know me as an author? And, uh, you know, have you read Life in the Cameline? Actually, I, I got a box of books. They'd just been delivered to Mexico and I opened it on camera. Oh, nice. So people could see my delight and mm -hmm. I could see their delight upon the book arriving mm -hmm. and did and, you smell your book story <laughs> no 
know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tactile sensation. A lot of people smell their books when they like, they love that sense of opening up the carton of books and getting the aroma of your book yeah. in their face. Yeah. 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 I, I, I get that. <laughs> so, so the, so the, the virtual book launch was for me very um, energizing and successful, but then one has to go on and market a book, especially if you're going to be in business and you're, and you have a, a mission and a business to run. So, Absolutely. Um, so it was quite the pivot for me to um, dive into marketing. And I have to own the fact that I'm not always good at this and I have a long way to go. And I would say to any other new authors um, or people who are writing their book for their business to Prepare yourself along the way so that you have parallel tracks. You're writing in your marketing, you're writing in your marketing. And if you do it in the parallel, like on a railway track, then, and you have connections between those two tracks, then I think it makes the journey much um, clearer and simpler. I interviewed a man named John Saunders who shared with me that he got about 250 people to act as beta readers for his book. Yes, yes. And then when the book was done, he could turn to those people and say, all right, now help me promote this, write a review, tell your friends. Yes. That was all the way along as he was writing it, he was connecting with those people. And I wish I had done that. I mean, people knew I was writing the book. I had my community help me create the cover. But uh, I did not do such a good job. So good on him. <laughs> yes. Learn well, from my mistakes. <laughs> how can our listeners get a copy of your book and find out more about what you offer? Uh, it's on Amazon. My book is on Amazon. So the best thing to do is to go to Amazon.com and look for Life in the Camel Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a website, and my, the website is simply my name, Doreen M. Cumberford, which I'm sure will be linked somewhere on the show. Mm -hmm. And I'll spell Doreen's last name if you're listening to this. It's C-U-M-B-E-R-F-O-R-D, Doreen M. Cumberford. Actually, one of the more easy names to spell, Doreen, although I would imagine people have figured out ways to misspell it. Occasionally, more they misspell the first name more than the last. Actually, so. <laughs> Doreen's first name is spelled D O R E E N M C U M B E R F O R D dot com. And yes, I'll put it in. If you're watching this on YouTube on our YouTube channel, it'll be below Doreen's picture. If you're listening to this, I've just spelled out her name, Doreen M Cumberford dot com, so you can. Go to her website. You can go to Amazon to get a copy of Life in the Camel Lane. And what was your subtitle? You held that up. It was oh, Embracing. Embrace the Adventure. Embracing oh. Adventure. It's, 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 a it's about breaking life down into bite-sized adventures and living life as, a, as an adventure, not just a rote experience that you do every day. Fabulous. 
Thank you so much, Doreen, for being part of this show. I appreciate that. Thank you, Pat. I loved it. And I hope Doreen has inspired you to take some adventures of your own within the capabilities and the opportunities that exist in your life. You don't have to be able to leave your house to have an adventure, to learn, to grow, to be stimulated, to connect with people in new ways. Uh, just before we got on the show, Doreen, I was reading a, a book that I bought on creating uh, wonderful virtual experiences. And the authors made the point that there's been a lot of changes in 2020. And one of them has been the ability to connect people from all over the world. Yeah. Uh, my husband and I had a 50th wedding anniversary and we had my mother, my son's mother-in-law from Australia. She connected uh -huh. in Australia. We had several people from different time zones in the United States. We had our relatives in England and we had relatives in India all connected by Zoom when we celebrated our 50 years of our wedding. Isn't that great. And wasn't it joyful? It's like my, my book launch, you know, it sounds like it was a joyful experience that lit you up. And it was. Uh, yeah, that's great. I had done a PowerPoint when we had our 40th wedding anniversary. We were in a restaurant and I showed scenes of our lives growing up. And I took that PowerPoint and I brought in pictures of the people who were on the call with us so that everyone watching saw themselves at least one time. And we went through that PowerPoint and I talked about the pictures and then we shared. And at the very end, uh, one of our Indian relatives said, can we do this again? <laughs> so we'll plan on doing something yes, in the future. Yes. It's a great way to stay connected. It is. Well, thank you for paying attention to this podcast, being with us for the last half hour or so while I've been talking with Doreen Cumberford. Be sure to go to patire.com and check out the free reports that we have available. I have just released a new one called um, Capitalizing on Your Book how to make big bucks from your book. And that is on all of the financial opportunities that are available once you have your book and how you can attract people to you with your knowledge. And we'll be back next week with a new guest, new topic. Be sure to check out Writing to Get Business. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.